1: So this is a night where I start off by saying he's dead. He is dead, and I didn't know if we were going to start the show by saying he's dead, but he is dead, and he is dead because we killed him. I think that's an odd statement, but it is true. We are, we the people, we the people killed that man, and we did it 35 minutes ago, um, so at 8.25 p.m. Central Time, 9.25 p.m. Eastern Time, nitrogen hypoxia worked, and the state executed Kenneth Eugene Smith. They did it at the William C. Holman Correctional Facility in Atmore. All of this is important. It sounds dry, but it is important. These are the facts surrounding a historical execution. This, this is a historic execution because it was Weird. It was, it was like he was a guinea pig on this one. We'd never tested it. No one knew what was going to happen. They are going to stick that mask on his face and then pure nitrogen. That's what you get instead of oxygen. It's called nitrogen hypoxia because you literally starve the body of oxygen. They say what you should see is that he passes out within 20 seconds or so. And they say that you should be dead within minutes, that it shouldn't hurt or be painful or go sideways. Uh, they never said what would happen if he barfed. And that's not funny because it does happen. There was no plan B if he filled up the mask with vomit. They tried hard to make that not happen by giving him the last meal Uh, like at 10 o'clock this morning, to make sure there was plenty of digestion time. They also said they'd have his spiritual advisor in that death chamber with him, like a Sister Helen Prejean kind of figure. He said he he was anxious. He told NPR that... Since it didn't work the last time when they put the needle in his arm and tried to do a lethal injection and it didn't work and he'd already had his last meal and he'd done the dead man walking and all that, he he said he was now dealing with PTSD and that he was scared that this wasn't going to work either or that this is going to be painful. He had anxiety, he said. I think I can hear a lot of you saying, so What? I wonder how his murder victim felt. I wonder if she was scared or if her execution was slow or fast or painful. Because Elizabeth Senate didn't get a choice in the matter either. She was a pastor's wife and the pastor wanted insurance money for, you know, her death so he hired a couple of fellas, that guy To take her out. And they decided to do it with a knife. And so they stabbed her repeatedly and let her die out and bleed on the floor. Teenage sons left without a mom. Pastor was such a coward he killed himself. And Kenneth, Kenneth for the last couple decades has been wondering when it was going to happen to him. We did not plunge a knife into him multiple times. We decided that because it's hard to get drugs to kill people now. Companies don't like selling drugs to jails so that they can execute. Companies don't want to be in the business of being party to executions. I get it. I get it. makes sense. And we should get it. You should never judge somebody who doesn't want to be part of a state-sanctioned killing, even if you agree with it. You shouldn't make other people go along with what they don't agree with. So it's hard to get the drugs. So everybody's looking for new and innovative ways, and maybe some old-fashioned ways like the firing squad. Idaho is building a new chamber for a firing squad. But Kenneth Eugene Smith, 58 years old, will not see 59. Kenneth Eugene Smith will not see tomorrow. Kenneth Eugene Smith, probably right at this moment, the corpse of Kenneth Eugene Smith, filled with nitrogen, is probably being loaded, if it hasn't already been, into a pine box, or maybe there's an autopsy process that they're just doing because that's formal. Being declared dead recently, just not even an hour. And he'll eventually go out in likely a a morgue wagon of some sort. That's usually how it happens outside of of the kinds of prisons that carry out um, executions in America. And usually there's people out there Upset, angry, protesting, saying death penalty's wrong. They they don't and listen. You can't hear it inside, and it doesn't have any effect. The only thing that could have an effect is the Supreme Court of the United States of America could have done something today. They did not. They didn't stop the execution. They could have done something yesterday. They did not. They didn't stop the execution, and then the governor. K. Ives could have done something. She could have called and she could have said, stop. I will, I will grant this man a reprieve. No one did. No one did. I think probably because they thought in 1988, he didn't, you know, allow a phone call to come in and protect Liz Senate. She didn't get a reprieve. She didn't get anybody debating how painful her murder was going to be. She didn't get anybody debating whether she would be too scared or whether it was cruel and humane for her. Nobody debated how that lovely human being on your screen was going to meet her demise. Instead, she was probably so sweet she opened the damn door and let those two bastards in. They probably gave her some kind of sob story that they needed something and passed her this and passed her bullshit that, and she's dead. And her death has not been avenged until 48 minutes ago, or however many minutes it's been now. Now her death has been avenged. And for those who feel among you, you might be watching now saying, good riddance. I wish it hadn't taken this long to get rid of you for what you did to Liz. I get it. I hear you. I feel you, I understand you. And for those of you who are watching right now who say, how could we do this? How could we pull a believer on a human being's life ourselves? We're not God. How could we do that? What does it mean to be pro-life? You can't just be pro-some life. Isn't God the one to judge when you live and die? My dad died a terrible death Old age, he was in pain, and no one was allowed to euthanize him, even though we wanted to. We didn't want him to suffer because we're not God. It wasn't legal. But when it comes to this, we do. We, the people, killed that man. So I understand those of you who feel that way, too. And no matter how you feel, it happened out of all our, our control. I want to play for you the most recent words now, because um, I think his name is John Hamm. He's the commissioner of Alabama's Department of Corrections. He came out from the the prison uh, where the the execution happened, and he just delivered these remarks just a little bit ago. Let's roll that tape.
2: Nothing happened here today is going to bring uh, mom back. Nothing. Oh. Uh, it's kind of a bittersweet day. We're not going to be jumping around, hooping and hollering, hooray and all that. That's that's not us. But uh, we're glad this day is over. Uh, all three of the people involved in this, Uh, case years ago we have forgiven not today but we have in the past some people may not believe that you know how do you forgive somebody well if we're to be more christ-like try to live his teachings and stuff uh, he forgave the ones on the cross right the thieves and if I'm trying to live my life like him it's my duty and it's weight off my shoulders I, I forgive him
1: Wow I wasn't expecting that that came in even more recently that that was Mike Sennett. that's Liz's son We thought I, I'm getting you the, the the clip from the the commissioner the Alabama uh, Department of Corrections I'll get that for you in a second, but that is just massive. To That's the teenage son. That's the teenager who was left without his mother, who knows how his mother died. That was a teenager. That's Mike Sennett, Liz Sennett's son. He and his brother were left with an entire life of memories of horror of how their mother died. And this is how old he is now. This is how long his life has been waiting for justice. And for him, it's it's, you know, my heart absolutely breaks for him listening to what he's processing and and how he has a relationship with the Lord and what this means to him. This is his justice. The woman behind him was wiping a tear away. There was also reporting um, that... Kenneth Eugene Smith had family in that execution chamber too. I don't know how separate they keep those families. Every, every chamber's different. But we've also got a reporter who's coming out to talk to us because she was there to be an official witness, which is also critical. If we, the people, are going to take, take a life, we better bloody well document it. And we better know exactly... And I cannot wait to hear what she has to say about how it happened. This is the guinea pig. This is going to be the precedent. This might be the way... Everyone gets executed in America now, because nitrogen's easy to get. The masks are easy to get. You don't have to wait on those lethal drugs. You don't have to ask a company to you know check their morals. You can just do this. If it went well. Um, let me run you that. We now have that in-house. That that, that sound from uh, the this. They hold a presser every time this happens, right? The, the officials come out of the jail and they tell you, the official, the death, and the, this is what happened, and the last words, and all the rest. This is John Hamm, the commissioner of the Alabama uh, Department of Corrections. Take a look. By order of the
2: Alabama Supreme Court at 7:53 Central Time tonight, the State of Alabama started carrying out the execution of Gene Smith by nitrogen poxia at the William C. Holman Corrections Facility in Atmore. Smith was executed for the 1988 capital murder of Elizabeth Doreen Sennett in Colbert County. Please confer with media witnesses for Smith's last words. Smith was pronounced deceased by physicians at 8.25 p.m. Central Standard Time.
1: Wow, okay, I have some other stuff I want to bring to you now, and I'm just going to do this with you so it's going to be messy. I'm reading it for the first time. Um, You just heard John Hamm saying they started the process at 7.52 Central Time, 8.52 Eastern. Um, He was pronounced dead at 8.25 Central, 9.25 Eastern. It appeared that he was holding his breath as long as he could. I just wonder about that. Like, Why? Why? He struggled. He struggled through his restraints. I'm getting more details now. He held his breath as long as he could. He struggled through his restraints. Um, All was expected. The side effects of hypoxia. I'm getting another line here saying his EKG lines caused a delay. There's no information that he was uncooperative other than that detail that he struggled uh, with his restraints and, and was trying to hold his breath. I wonder what he was thinking. Like, How long are you gonna be able to hold your breath? How long? I mean, what, what would be the point at that point, right? So I can also tell you that he was fed that last meal today um, at 10 a.m. Central Time. And you're thinking, well, that's like 12 hours ago. Like, or, you, know, more, you know, why would it be so long? Because they needed him to digest everything. And his choice of last meal was the Waffle House. He got a T-bone steak, hash browns, scrambled eggs. I don't have any other details about drinks or dessert or anything, but there's usually a budget for a last meal. You don't just get to say, you know, I want Spark Steakhouse in New York. You, there's usually a budget. You have to come in under budgets, oftentimes why it's big but fast food. I want to bring in Joseph Scott Morgan right now. He's a certified death investigator, um, Professor Emeritus, Jacksonville State University, you know, you know everything about this stuff. I find it always weird that we're having a conversation after we, the people, kill somebody, planned it, staged it, set it up, had witnesses, wired it up, let it happen, roll a carcass out. I, I always find that to be disquieting, and that doesn't say whether I believe in capital punishment or not. Uh, give me your thoughts now that you've heard it's happened.
3: Well, now that's now that it's done, Ash, uh, I think that it's really important that we reflect upon the fact that, you know, we have five manners of death, you know, that we classify in medical legal world, uh, you know, homicide, accidental, and so forth and so on. This is a homicide, and it should be investigated as such. And I'm not, the reason I'm saying it that way is that this is the same as an in-custody death. With with a police officer, you know, in the backseat of a car, on a sidewalk, or anywhere else, they need to thoroughly investigate, and the investigation takes place in the autopsy room. And here's why you need to do that. Uh, first off, you need to document any anything that's on his person. But secondly, you need to talk about this mechanism and how it affected him. Um, and there's there's a lot of other eyes on this, Ash. We have to keep that in mind. There's two other states that have approved this methodology, so they're going to want that data moving forward, and I think that the people of the United States want that data as well. They want to understand this process and try to understand the mechanism and how effective it was. So I suspect that there will be an autopsy performed. It will be performed by the state medical examiner, and it will be very thorough. And you're not going to find things. I don't think that there are necessarily going to be Tissue changes, such as in his lungs and this sort of thing. The trick here is the toxicological examination of the blood and where the blood originates in the body, because what you're looking at is the processing of the nitrogen through the system. So if you go into the vena cava, coming off the heart, uh, uh, testing the lung, how the air is processing through those levels contained therein, that'll give you an, an indication. But this is an inert gas, this is not like potassium. Uh, uh, cyanide that was used, say, in the gas chamber back in Cali all those years ago. This is not a toxic substance like that. Uh, This is something that is simply oxygen replacement. So it'll be interesting to see how this is measured anatomically and also the reports coming back from the individuals that eyewitnessed this.
1: Um. Let me. I just want to pop something in here. I was not aware of this, and I. It's. Um, this is weird. So this is some reporting from NPR. I didn't know this. Back in 1996, uh, Kenneth Eugene Smith was actually retried for this. His first conviction had been overturned. Okay, and in you know how it works. You get a, you get a conviction. The jury does the, the mm-hmm. conviction, and then usually in most states, the jury will actually deliberate on death or no death. Right. Some states have had some differences in that. But one of the jurors in this retrial um, voted for the death penalty. And every one of the other jurors voted against it. So all but one juror voted to put him in prison for life. And the trial judge, his name is Pride Tompkins, Ignored the jury and imposed a death sentence on his own right. that 's also something yeah. that is uh, it's part of criminal code in many states, not every state, but um, that is really fascinating. I would wonder how those jurors feel tonight, you know if they 're still around 1996 not that long ago, knowing that they yeah. said no, we don 't want the death penalty, we want life in prison, and one man basically changed changed the you know, trajectory of his life and death, but um, so, do we, I got to ask you really quickly, Joseph Scott. It's yeah, kind sure. of like housekeeping almost, which is weird. When you have an execution like this, yeah. do they do an autopsy right then? Like, do they set up an autopsy right then and there? Because I am no. guessing that no. nitrogen hypoxia might have some half lives. Like, if you're going to ship them off to a hospital and set it all up in hours, things will change in the body. And we need to know, we need to know a lot. Like, we need to know everything yeah. that happened in his body. What, what do you suspect happened?
3: Well, I've got a big reveal here. I've actually participated in two autopsies on uh, on capital punishment cases while I was in Georgia many years ago and signed to, assigned to the state medical examiner's office then. And those bodies were taken from many, many miles away and brought to the state medical examiner's office where we conducted the examination now. Those were both lethal injections. Uh, going into this idea about the half-life of the nitrogen, I think probably you're not going to have that worry here. Uh, I don't think that there will be that great of a diminishment. Uh, There is a possibility they could do immediate blood draws there at the facility, Mm. capture that blood, and then go do the full autopsy at that point in time. If that's one of the concerns, you know, over where I have previously had experience, did you know that there was actually, they would invite the medical examiner for the state to be present to observe uh, the execution as well. And You know, when you think about it, it's kind of logical because you can see the process unfolding and then document it afterwards. I don't know if that's the case in Alabama. A lot of that is going to remain to be seen. I think that's a salient question to ask, though.
1: It's really amazing. And look, we've got we've got that breaking news banner there. Um, But that's you know, this is a big deal. Uh, We've got a reporter who actually was there. Mm. We interviewed her last night. She's, she was held in a, a separate area and had to sort of wait for the summons, you know, because nobody knew yeah. exactly what time it was going to happen. They had a sneaky suspicion that with the last meal at 10 o'clock that it could happen after 6 p.m. But, you know, there's all this last-minute paperwork and, you know, mm-hmm. the potential that that proverbial phone could ring. It did not. So there you have it. Kenneth Eugene Smith, uh, dead, 8.25 p.m. Central Time, after hydro, uh, nitrogen hypoxia. Uh, the mask was put on his face. He held his breath. He struggled. He tried to put it off as long as he could, ultimately could not. So, Joe, I know that that reporter's coming out any minute, and I'm mm-hmm. going to break into programming the minute she comes out, because she's going to give sure. us her full observations that are more fulsome than the details that I just got over the wire system. But I really appreciate your, your, your commentary here, because, again... It's it's all brand new. Um, yes, it so, is. So, Joe, nice thank you, it. and I look forward to having you on again. Thank
3: You're you. quite welcome. Thanks, Ash.
1: I'm also going to uh, put some other news ahead. And like I said, as soon as she comes out, I'm going to get the details of that um, those last few moments in, in the death chamber, because I do think that's really important. But we're also just hours away from getting an answer to something really pressing in the Idaho quadruple murder case, and that is when is Brian Koberger going to stand trial, because we are about to find out. All the details on that, next.
4: If you're concerned that you might be at risk of Alzheimer's disease, a blood test might answer a lot of questions. A new study published in JAMA Neurology explored the efficacy of a new blood test that scientists say can detect Alzheimer's years before symptoms appear. If you're worried that you might lose your job to a robot, researchers at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology say you can relax a bit, at least for now. The researchers found that tasks requiring vision are hard for artificial intelligence to perform without expensive modifications. Audi is recalling nearly 27,000 2020-2022 e-tron sportback quattros and 2019-2022 to 2022 e-tron quattros. The company says certain high-voltage battery modules may overheat, increasing the risk of a fire. So far, no reports of that happening. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com.
0: The nation's cold snap of recent days is about over.
4: All of a sudden, that cold air is utterly disappearing. A few days
0: ago, we started seeing warmer weather overspreading the western U.S., and now that warmer air is making a quick trip across the central and into the eastern United States, helping to flush out any of that remaining bitterly cold air.
5: USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says the warmer weather also comes with above-normal precipitation in various parts of the country, as well as the increased chance of flooding
2: between now and
0: the end of the week we are expecting two significant storm systems across the south it could lead to precipitation totals anywhere from two to eight inches or more from eastern texas to the central and southern appalachians also extending as far north as the ohio valley
5: rippy adds active weather could develop later this week along or near the gulf coast I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C.
1: Thanks for listening to News Nation on the go. I'm Hannah To get America's fastest growing news channel on your screen, go to joinnn.com.
0: This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Veterans, do you have a copy of your DD-214? A DD-214 is a DOD certificate of retirement, separation, or discharge from active duty. It verifies your eligibility for benefits and services. The fastest way to request a copy is through the National Archives and Records Administration at archives.gov. Get the benefits you've earned. Imagine the hospital experience. There's a constant parade of serious doctors, countless tests, and a serious diagnosis. Scary surgeries are followed by painful recoveries. You're in the hospital for days, weeks, months, now imagine you're a child. This is why Starlight exists. Starlight programs help kids in the hospital cope, build resilience, bolster confidence, and change their outlook. Because happiness matters. Donate today at www.starlight.org.
2: My name is Demar Hamlin. I play for the Buffalo Bills, and I play safety. CPR saved my life. I've teamed up with the American Heart Association as a national ambassador to help create a nation of lifesavers, turning bystanders into lifesavers through CPR education and access to AEDs. Nearly three out of four cardiac arrests that don't happen in hospitals happen in homes. Join me to ensure everyone has the chance to live longer, healthier lives. Visit heart.org nation.
1: All right, so if you're just joining us, uh, big breaking news. Just, uh, let's see, oh, exactly one hour ago. Uh, yeah, exactly one hour ago, 825 Eastern Time, 925 uh, e- E25 Central Time, 9.25 Eastern Time. Um, execution. Kenneth Eugene Smith put to dead in Alabama. Uh, nitrogen hypoxia. This is the first time. This was a total guinea pig situation. They had no idea how it was going to work, but uh, it did. He's dead. And the son of the woman that he murdered back in the 80s, uh, Mike Sennett, spoke afterwards about what that meant. Listen, closure for anybody who goes through that is something you'll never know unless you walk in those shoes, and even then, it would be hard to understand. The, um, the commissioner of the Department of Corrections in Alabama also spoke and gave the official pronouncement. Uh, I'm looking for the last words. I know we have them here. Okay, let me, let me read you some of these last words, according to media witnesses. This is what he said, K- Kenneth uh, Eugene Smith. Tonight... Alabama causes humanity to take a step backwards. Thank you for supporting me. Love all of you. Those were Kenneth's last words. Tonight, Alabama causes humanity to take a step backwards. Thank you for supporting me. Love all of you. And then as the gas began to flow, the report says Smith smiled. He nodded towards his family, and then he signaled, I love you. He also said that he saw humanity rise up uh, after Smith said he suffered. This is confusing. He also said that he saw humanity rise up after Smith said he suffered everything I did last year. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I'll have to get that cleared. Um, he says, I'm leaving with love, peace, and light. The witnesses saw Smith's struggle as the gas began flowing into the mask that covered his entire face, not just over his mouth and nose, it covered his entire face, they say he began writhing and thrashing for approximately two to four minutes, followed by about five minutes of heavy breathing. Okay, that's really unusual. Listen, that's unusual because we were told within seconds he'd be passed out. So the witnesses are saying that didn't happen. They're saying he was writhing and thrashing for approximately two to four minutes, followed by about five minutes of heavy breathing. They said that he'd pass that within a few seconds, and then within a couple minutes, he'd be dead. But the witnesses said that that's not what happened. At 8.07, 9.07 Eastern, a corrections officer leaned over the gurney and closely examined Smith's face before walking back to his position against the wall. Smith's time of death was pronounced 8.25 p.m. Central. Uh, Smith's wedding ring was visible from where the media was seated. His spiritual advisor, Reverend Hood, continued to bless him throughout the whole execution. Alabama's Governor Kay Ivey confirmed the execution. She says this, quote, on March 18, 1988, 45-year-old Elizabeth Sennett's life was brutally taken from her by Kenneth Eugene Smith. After more than 30 years and attempt after attempt to game the system, Mr. Smith has answered for his horrendous crimes. The execution was lawfully carried out by nitrogen hypoxia, the method previously requested by Mr. Smith as an alternative to lethal injection. At long last, Mr. Smith got what he asked for, and this case can finally be put to rest. I pray that Elizabeth Sennett's family can receive closure after all these years dealing with that great loss. Again, that is the Alabama Governor Kay Ivey confirming the death of Kenneth Smith, but the details, that's all according to AL.com, and our reporter works for AL.com. She's in there. She's probably typed those up, so she's probably on the on the move right now, getting ready to, to bring us a little bit more of that color of what happened. It's interesting, those last words, they seem sort of disjointed, and I want to get that, that cleared up as well. While we wait for her, there is also this quadruple murder and a death penalty that's on the agenda, right? So we are looking at Idaho in the courtroom tomorrow. The quadruple murder in Idaho of those four students, we still don't know the date of the planned trial for Brian Koberger. Coming up right after the break, I have a live reporter. We're going to preview what's going to happen in court tomorrow, and then I have some exclusive reporting of who's coming to court in person, who's coming via Zoom, and it has to do with the families of those four kids who died. We're back right after this. So, um, we in just a couple of hours could get an answer to one of the biggest questions that we've had in the Idaho quadruple murder case, and that is when on earth is Brian Koberger going to stand trial for it? We know that right now Steve Gonzalez, that's Kaylee's dad, uh, he is preparing for a very important pretrial hearing, a couple of them actually, tomorrow. And he plans to have. A couple of family members with him. I spoke with him early today, and these might be some names you've heard before, maybe not, but uh, Randy Davis is going to go to court with Steve Gonzalez tomorrow. That's Zana's stepdad. Randy Davis was married to, to Zana's mom for about eight years, and, and Randy and Zana's mom, Kara, had a baby, a boy, and that is Zana's stepbrother. They grew up uh, all together as as siblings. So this will be really important that Zana's stepbrother, who she considers a brother, considered a brother, and uh, her stepdad will be in court with Steve Gonzalez tomorrow. Also coming in via Zoom is going to be Zana's dad, Jeff Kernodle. And maybe for moral support, whatever it is, uh, Jeff's supposed to have his his brother, um, Jeff Kernodle's brother, with him coming in. Via Zoom, So that's what we know about who's going to attend tomorrow. Um, but it's important. This is huge because last week, you know, we were talking about the strategy of separating the case victim by victim. And then like trying Koberger four different times for four different murders, not at the same time, separate cases. And that would be in case there's a not guilty verdict the first time around. Double jeopardy means you can't try him again. Off he goes. If he's not guilty, he's free forever. If he's not guilty of the first murder, he had three more bites at the apple. Kaylee Gonzalez's dad, Steve, said that he is really on board with that theory and with that idea, and that he and his team are hoping that that actually might happen. Whether it will or not, it's a long shot, but I want to get to News Nation's national correspondent, Alex Capriello. He is in downtown Moscow right now. I think here, if I, if I can recognize your location, you're at the Mad Greek... Restaurant, And that's where both Maddie and Zana used to work, right?
5: Yeah, it's actually right here behind me. You could probably see it over my shoulder. Uh, obviously a place that is very close to the story, to the four victims, particularly the two of them. I had a chance to walk in there earlier today and see how people are doing. I had a chance to speak to the manager. Uh, he had some new information that I didn't know. Uh, first and foremost, he said most of the co-workers uh, there at the Mad Greek that worked with Zan and with Maddie no longer work there. It's just too hard to actually be in that space. The memories are just too difficult. Uh, But one thing that was really touching, Ashley, was this beautiful memorial that's actually standing right there by the bar. Uh, And I think we have video that we can actually show that shows these four Idaho four victims um, as a way for people there to remember them, to lift up their lives, uh, the manager telling me that just about everyone who walks in there and orders at that restaurant, orders at that bar, takes a second, looks at those pictures, and remembers the tragedy that happened to these four young people.
1: Oh, Alex, we're seeing it now. That's, thank you for loading that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for putting that up on the show. That's... Um... You know, I kinda wondered if they were gonna do something like that, Alex, because at first they were really overwhelmed at that restaurant. They were so upset with media coming in. They just it's almost as though they just wanted it all to end. People to go away. They just didn't want this to be such a big part of their lives. But I'm I'm really glad that here we are a year plus and they've decided to honor the kids in this way. Uh, but I also get it that the other the other coworkers just couldn't deal. They just couldn't hack it and, and that they had to leave. Could you have a chance to talk to some of the, the other people around town? Because, you know, this is also their reality, right? So I, I would imagine that they have some strong feelings about tomorrow's hearing and getting a date on the calendar for a trial.
5: Yeah, I think overall a lot of the sentiment here is that this is just a very painful tragedy that has befallen this town, and it's really hard still more than a year later for people to come to grips with it. Beyond that, it's a fact that there's a trial that's happening at a courthouse about two blocks from where I'm standing, and it just never seems to actually have its conclusion, its day in court yet. And so this trial is something that people are eagerly awaiting uh, just because they want to get past it. Of course, they remember and love the victims of these University of Idaho students, but at the same time, they know that there is an accused criminal that's in a jail underneath the courthouse, and they want to see uh, that person brought to justice. Uh, in fact, I think it feels as if there's this dark cloud that's actually hanging over this city. They want to see it go to trial. Here's what one man who, uh, one man who lives here in Moscow had to say.
3: It's, it's time for this trial to happen. But now they want to postpone till summer after the kids are out of school, which that's understandable Why There needs to be a trial
5: Why is urgency so important to you?
3: Well, it's not urgent, it's only been a year and a half so far, or at least a year
5: But meaning that you want the trial to go, is it I
3: think everybody would like the trial to happen He's been in the, sitting up in that jail for a year, something needs to happen
5: And I think another major concern is that it feels like there's not enough information for them to grasp onto. This restrictive gag order in place really prohibits information about the progress of this. So I think tomorrow with this scheduling conference, if a date does come down, it's going to be a relief to everyone because it feels like progress is being made.
1: Yeah, that's a huge deal. There's a couple of other things on the agenda for tomorrow, too, that we will or won't hear about, some public, some private stuff. But um, I know you're going to be on the job for us. Alex, thank you for this. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Ashley. So Alex is in Moscow, and um, what, what's really interesting is what the judge has made you know, clear about the trial, when it gets scheduled. And that is not very friendly to me or you. And when I say that, I mean we the people. We're not gonna be able to really cover it the way we normally would. I have the whole menu of the rules and regulations for the public and the press And anybody else who plans to, you know, make their way into that courtroom, if it's going to happen this summer. But when it happens, I'm going to tell you exactly just how many limitations this judge has put on this thing. Next.
4: What's gotten lost in a lot of news coverage is trust. Dan Abrams and Elizabeth Vargas on America's fastest growing cable news network, News Nation. News Nation is the place. That people can come because they trust that at the least we're trying to be straight with them.
1: Every point of view is represented. That's what we do. We only earn that trust, keep that trust by every single night fulfilling that mission.
4: To find News Nation on your screen, go to
3: joinnn.com. In the early hours after the tsunamis, it was ham radio that was on the air, saving lives. When Florida was ripped by hurricanes, the hams were there. In the critical moments after the attack of 9-11, it was the hams who coordinated emergency messages. When disasters strike, the hams are ready. Ham radio works when other communications don't. To learn how you can become a ham radio operator, call the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, at 1-800-326-3942.
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Kathleen Eubanks-Ming with the American Academy of Family Physicians. Bullies use power, strength, or popularity to hurt others emotionally or physically. And while you can't be with your child all the time, there are ways you can help. If your child encounters a bully, tell them to get to a safe place and tell an adult. You can also show them how to block online bullies. Teach them they can be more than a bystander and that they can help their peers. For more on bullying, visit FamilyDoctor.org or talk with your family physician.
5: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives and restore sight and health for many more. Sign up right now online as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services,
0: Health Resources and Services Administration.
3: With more than 5,000 journalists working in newsrooms coast to coast, this is news Nation, America's fastest-growing cable news network.
1: Many Americans have missed regular dental care in the past few years. It's important to see a dentist twice a year to identify any problems early. Taking care of your oral health helps overall health. Brushing at least twice a day with fluoride toothpaste and flossing daily can help prevent oral health problems. For more information, visit hrsa.gov/oral-health.
0: Are you prepared for an emergency or disaster? Because it's not a matter of if, but when.
3: Don't find yourself saying,
1: I'll trust water bottles and a flashlight to save the day, but I'll be proved wrong.
3: With a tornado approaching, I'll realize that I like a wheelchair-accessible shelter.
1: When the floodwaters rise, I'll be up in the attic with 20 cans of beans. It's a recipe for disaster.
0: Let's prepare so we all have a better story to tell. Get started at ready.gov slash older adults. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Stand Up to Cancer asked leading cancer researchers to speak about why they do their work.
3: Two words come to mind for me. One is responsibility. The other is purpose.
4: It's just so inspiring to do research that impacts human lives.
3: Stand Up to
0: Cancer has been a critical partner in advancing research for cancer.
1: Cancer research saves lives. So please help us fight in this battle against cancer.
0: Be a part of the team that ends cancer at StandUpToCancer.org.
4: You know the 80s. Oh, yeah. Neon-colored everything. Shoulder pads like a linebacker. Plutonium powering your DeLorean. The stuff works. Moonwalk (laughs) through the 80s and 90s on Rewind TV. It's a totally outstanding television network that's free, over the air, or on cable. This is a big deal! Your favorite sitcoms from the 80s and 90s are all in one place. Rewind TV. Just go to RewindTV.com and check it out.
1: And that happened just over an hour ago. The state decided it was time, and the Supreme Court did not put a stop to it, and the governor of Alabama did not put a stop to it. Nobody came to his aid this time round. And instead, they put a mask right over his entire face, and they filled it with nitrogen. And he struggled, and he held his breath, and he wiggled, and it took a long time. It took a lot longer than we thought. We were told it was going to take a couple of seconds, like 12 to 15 seconds or so, and he'd be passing out. That didn't happen. It took several minutes before uh, he, I guess, passed out, and then uh, breathed heavily for many more minutes after that. Like five or six minutes after that, uh, we were always told that it was going to be a couple of seconds before he passed out, and then, you know, within a minute or two, he'd be he'd be dead. That that's not necessarily the case. I am still waiting for that reporter. She's making her way from the execution chamber out to a place where she can report for us. You can imagine it is. Big red tape, right? You're not just going to waltz out to a live TV cam, but we've got a spot open for her on this show the minute she shows up, and I will interrupt everything. But I still want to get you this information about Idaho, because first things first, it's a pretrial hearing tomorrow, and for every hearing after that and the trial itself, uh, John Judge rules are going to apply, and that is really the judge's name, John Judge, Judge Judge. Uh, He has put out an actual rule book of sorts for courthouse decorum and conduct, and Section 1 is all about the seating. This is important, because the seats are only reserved for court personnel, the defendant's family, and the victim's families. For the rest of us, that means you, that means the public, that means me, who speaks to you through the camera. Uh, we do not get special seating. We don't get a reserve. We get it on a general admission basis, until the seats run out. No standing allowed. Spectators will not be allowed in after court starts, and you can't come and go while court's in session either. You leave, you're gone. Section two, rules and restrictions, handbags, backpacks, band, cell phones. They're allowed, but they have to be turned off. Laptops and tablets can be on, but for note-taking only, no texting, no emailing, no internet, no real-time updates for you, the public. Reporters won't be able to do that. And then as for recording, none of that either. No recording. That brings me to section three. Back in November, the judge ruled that outside cameras will not be allowed. Instead, a single court-operated camera will live-stream the arguments and the testimony. The media is allowed to air that footage but not alter it in any way, shape, or form, so no zooming in on Koberger, no zooming in on anything else. Section 4, what can and cannot happen outside the courthouse. The judge has released this map showing exactly where the media can and cannot set up, and do interviews before and after the hearings. And it's expected to be like that during the trial, too. I want to bring in Richard Block. He's a criminal defense attorney based in Idaho, so he knows how things usually work in Idaho. Does this at all seem draconian? I mean, it's, it's not the way we usually cover trials. What are, what are your thoughts?
0: Most of this seems pretty normal. No cell phones, uh, reserve seating for court personnel, attorneys, attorney staff, those kinds of things. That's normal in just about every court. Usually that front row, that's the lawyers, that's police officers, that's that kind of stuff up there. Um, uh, most of this stuff is typical stuff. It's decorum stuff. Yeah, you can't be on your cell phone. Yeah, you can't be emailing and doing your homework while you're in court or that kind of stuff frankly, that the judges are allowed cops. I
1: I have to interrupt you there because I've been in so many courtrooms around the state. I don't know what's going on in Idaho. I have always been allowed to put out a real-time update. When I had my Blackberry and when I have my iPhone, I'm able to say, just just rendered their verdict guilty. Um, But there's no Internet. There's no real-time communication at all. And you can't leave all day, which means the public's going to be in the dark for the whole day, And reporters aren't going to be allowed to do things in real time. That isn't normal. Is it normal in Idaho?
0: No, I think it's normal for people not to be able to use cell phones and the Internet in courtrooms everywhere I've been. Every single courtroom I've ever been in. Now, I'm typically not in these big uh, media-driven trials uh, like this, but that's that's pretty normal stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I must have put out 2,000 tweets during Casey Anthony, um, and it, you know that that was just a, a regular communication. I and I remember only um, in California, Conrad Murray, the Michael Jackson propofol doctor, that that judge said you can't have your um, you can't you can't live broadcast any tweets or or, um, or texts. But it was very unusual. But that is what happens when you have these massive. Cases with such a public interest, so I'm surprised that it's this this strict. I do want to ask you about a sequestered jury, though. Do you think that this jury is going to have to be like blocking off six weeks of possibly their summer and be in a hotel room to, to try this? What's it like in Idaho when it comes to high profile and sequestering juries?
0: You know, we just had the Vallow case not that long ago here in Idaho, and that jury wasn't sequestered. Those folks were allowed to go home, take care of their families. Uh, as I remember getting out at three or three 30 every day. Um, I don't know that that's something that we're going to see here in this case. Uh, my guess is that the judge is going to have a lot of concern for the jurors and their, uh, obligations outside of court.
1: And how do you think that'll go over? I have 10 seconds left, but I mean, finding jurors who can be in a hotel room for six weeks, how do you think that's going to go over?
0: It's hard for finding anybody who can do this for six weeks. And frankly, what happens is the judge makes them do it, and they suffer through it.
1: So they don't even know about it um, when they're going under their, their voir dire. Uh, that's, that's rough. Wow. Uh, Richard Block, I'm out of time, but i got to have you back. Uh, you always are the best arbiter of everything when it comes to Idaho justice. Thank you for this. Thank you for having me. Coming up after the break, there's no place like home. Unless, of course, home is a 6x10 concrete jail cell and the commissary sucks. In that case, why would a former mobster come out of retirement to steal these? The famous ruby red slippers from The Wizard of Oz. Why would he risk going back into the big house? Well, it turns out he thought those slippers might just buy him a bigger house. And you won't believe why he was so wrong next. He had the heart, he had the courage, but he did not have the brains. Terry John Martin, 76-year-old former mobster, has finally admitted why he stole a pair of ruby red slippers that Judy Garland wore in The Wizard of Oz. It turns out he thought the prop shoes were actually made of real rubies. (laughs) In 2005, he broke into the Judy Garland Museum in Minnesota and he took the shoes from a display case. And two days later, he learned that the rubies were actually glass. Uh, They were worthless. So he gave the shoes away, and he forgot all about them. And in 2018, the shoes were recovered elsewhere. Uh, Investigators were able to actually tie Martin to the theft. Rubies or not, the prop shoes were actually worth $3.5 million dollars. So he didn't realize, because he'd never seen The Wizard of Oz, what he actually had in his hands. He had something way more valuable than rubies. He's scheduled to be sentenced on Monday, but because of his age and his failing health, uh, they say he's likely to get time served. And to quote the good witch, Glinda, Martin always had the power all along. He just had to learn it for himself. That was the worst impression ever. (laughs) Oh, okay. That, that I'm just going to hand it over to Chris Cuomo. Um, I'll see you back here tomorrow.
3: Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Cuomo. It's Thursday. We have some very heavy news happening on our watch. So let's get after it. Why do I say heavy? Well, as I speak, a man is being put to death. And it's being done in a way that we've never seen before in America. Kenneth Eugene Smith is this murderer from Alabama on death row, survived an execution.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand